Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques, so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation lab. If you'd like to learn more about my new book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at voltagecontrol.com slash magical dash meetings dash quick dash guide. Today, I'm with Madeline Guinazzo, the co-founder and director of training at Cuddleist, where she makes the world a safer, more connected place through cuddling. She is also an educator for medical students and a self-described all-around communications geek. Welcome to the show, Madeline. Hey, Doug. It's great to be here. It's fantastic to have you. So let's start off with a little bit of a history of how you got your start. How does one become a cuddle facilitator? Oh, wow. That's such a great question. And there's so many answers to it. I'm always like, wow, what, what, what's going to come up in this moment as uh, <laughs> around that question? A couple things. First of all, I think this was a matter of, for me, Cuddleist was a matter of, if you want to see something done right, do it yourself. <laughs> that was because I had, uh, professional cuddling was becoming a thing. This was around 2012. And at that point, I had spent uh, years facilitating a workshop called Cuddle Party, which is for all intents and purposes. This is a, a workshop with kind of like the first hours of, is a workshop on consent and communication. And then we have like an hour and a half practicum where we practice consent and communication using cuddling. And I, that was really important to me that this training live in the world, that this be part of the therapeutic practice of bringing this individually one-on-one. So that's, you know, I started Cuddleist because I wanted to see it done the way I wanted to see it done. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I love this notion, you know, of consent. And like a good friend of mine had shared with me some writings that he had found from the role play facilitation world like the dungeon master kind of Mm, guides and things. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was this article on consent and gaming, Mm. which I thought was really fascinating. You know, it's like just because you're the dungeon master doesn't make it okay to make people feel uncomfortable or to acquiesce to things that they don't necessarily agree with in the real world, just because they're playing this character. Right. And so this notion of consent and uh, the workshops you're doing, is like really resonated and made me think of those, that article. And for any of us in a position of, status or privilege relatively, whether we're a facilitator or the authority in the room or the expert being interviewed or just somebody with more social status based on skin color or whatever, it's really important for us to be aware of how we, um, even unintentionally, can come across as overriding or overdriving or imposing in a way that's not, that's not welcomed. 
Yeah, and that can be so tough to, you know, as someone who takes their craft seriously and, you know, with all the best intentions, <laughs> things that can backfire. And I think just as someone who's really intent on learning and doing the right thing, I think it's just a constant evolution of, of learning and trying to do the right thing in the moments. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And so it's just the awareness and being curious about, yeah, what am I missing? What might I be missing? Yeah, and the dialogue. I think being open to hearing that, you know, you might not yeah. be yeah. good. <laughs> like nobody's perfect, but like. And creating those openings. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you talk about creating openings, it makes me think of the word invitation, which you which you mentioned in our pre-show chat. And, you know, it's a word that I love and haven't thought about it in maybe in the last few weeks or so, just how much I love that word and, mm. you know, how we can be so intentional about when we bring people together and we ask them to do things. What does that word mean to you, invitation? Yeah, wow. Well, you know, I think that liberating structures maybe opened my eyes up to a whole new way to think about invitation, right? Because it's like before I was just like, oh, I'm going to invite you over, right? Want to come hang out? And then just using invitation from the perspective of, hey, will you come along with me on this little thought moment? Will you come along with me to explore our feelings in a new and different way? Is that okay? Are you, you mm. open to that? So it kind of comes back to your consent stuff, right? It's like yeah. an invitation isn't a command an invitation is gives them the opportunity to say no thanks i'm going to get super geeky on you for a moment here i guess i'd love this conversation and so for me there's an important distinction between a request an offer and an invitation Mm. and it has to do with willing and wanting which are very different things right so when i make a request it's something that i want I am saying, I'm kind of putting that out there. This is for me. I would like this. Are you willing? And when I make an offer, I'm saying, it's for you. Do you want this? Because I'm willing to give this if it's something you want. And an invitation, what I love about an invitation is an invitation is that kind of little, that sort of middle ground where it's like, hey, I have an idea. I'm inviting you. I think this would be fun, but it's not going to be fun unless you think it's going to be fun too. Mm. That's really cool. It's like both parties have to be involved or it doesn't work. The magic's not there if it's like if both people aren't into it. That's cool. Yeah, and they're all of them have consent in them because the 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 implicit and important essential underlying thing is anyone can opt out at any mm. time. Right? With no negative consequences. It's not an expectation, it's not a demand, right? It's not conditional necessarily. And if it is, then we want to communicate that. Mm. And I guess maybe similar to conditions, but maybe a little more rooted in the, how do we even respond when someone declines our invitation, knowing mm. that you know our jobs to get the audience from point A to point B and people are rejecting the invitation and you know we feel inclined that they hired us to get us there. Like, Sure, it's like fine to say, like, I want to be open and whatnot, but I would imagine a lot of listeners, especially young facilitators, might be thinking, well, I've got a job to do. How can I just come in and say people might be able to do this? What's some kind of advice there? Yeah, well, I'm going to take this back. You know, a little bit is, you know, the way real estate people say location, location, location. (laughs) So for me, communication is all about context, 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 right? It's like, 
what what is the context that we're communicating within here and so you brought up as a facilitator right that's that's the context but you know request offer invitation that could be in in any number of of contexts mm. so i'm hearing your your question specifically right is if if the context here is i'm a facilitator and i'm inviting a participant right to to participate in a particular way so much of that depends on what am i facilitating right what is the context and the i think for me the number one foundational principle as a facilitator is it's my job to create psychological safety psychological security you know emotional security in the room by informing people and letting them know what the expectations are up front so what is the agenda what is the goal what is kind of expected of them because that helps people relax when they know what the you know, what am I supposed to be doing here? Because otherwise they're tiptoeing around hoping that they don't, you know, stub their toe on, on something. So to let people know. And so, for instance, like in a cuddle party workshop, we go through the agreements. These are the agreements. And they're really a set of rules for behavior in this, in this context. So first of all, no one here has to do anything. And if, you, if you're not a yes to agreeing to all of these rules, then you don't have to stay. But if you stay you are signifying by your attendance that you agree to these rules, these communication guidelines as we have set forth. So that's kind of the thing. These are the things that are the rules that you don't have to do them, but we do need you to opt in if you're going to stay. Or if, if this isn't for you, then, you know, thank you. Mm. Thank you for letting us know. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Thank you for, you know, respecting the, the rules of the group by by not participating. Yeah, you know, I also think that can be a conversation in itself, you know, asking the group how they feel about what's happening and what the group might want to do based on this new information, you know, especially if it's some significant portion of the group that's like, you know, not accepting the invitation. Was there a misunderstanding with leadership on what was needed of the group so much that they rejected the the offer? I think also it can be helpful just to have other kind of techniques or other invitations that we might be able to offer up those folks as alternatives mm -hmm. should they not want to participate in a certain way. Well, that's interesting because what I'm hearing, this the, the context that you're describing is say, I've been hired by a leadership team that has certain needs and goals and wants that they're, that they're investing in my services to provide, right? And, mm -hmm. then, and then I've got the participants who are, who are showing up, which is kind of a third party here. And my job is to, as a facilitator, be clear, hey, this is our mission. Should we choose to accept? This is the mission that's been handed down from leadership. <laughs> Hired me. They're your, you know, leadership team. And this is what we're here to do. Is everyone on board with that? You know, and this is what I propose. That's right. I think that's an important question. And especially if, uh, if you start picking up on any indication that people <laughs> might be disconnected with the purpose even if that leadership is in the room also right just because they're mm -hmm. in a room doesn't mean that you can't read the other signals yeah and it reminds me of something i thought about when you were talking about the context piece which is you mentioned the importance of expectations and how people might tiptoe around because they don't know what is expected i think there's another version of that which is equally detrimental but it plays out a little different and that is when people come in with the wrong expectations so it's not that they don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. It's somehow they misinterpreted them because they weren't communicated clearly. 
So the classic example of this is, I thought we were going to make a decision or, you know, some, mm. or how, how we were going to go about making a decision was different than the expectations they had in their mind. And so this context setting and these expectations setting is so critical. Well, it is. I mean, yeah, there's so many different ways to go with that. First of all, I got kind of excited as you were talking because I love playing with practicing taking what I'm going to call implicit social agreements, which is another way of saying expectations, right? We kind of walk in with these sometimes. We're not even aware of them, but we become aware of them if they're not met. We're like, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) And to start with kind of making those agreements explicit in a way. So for instance, uh, something I've been playing with lately is saying to people, hey, you know, I commit to in all of our communications uh, being, you know, as appropriately honest as I can be, even if it's, if it's uncomfortable with as much grace and goodwill as I have in me. How does that sound to you? Sounds awesome. <laughs> I love hearing that. And, and when I say that, one of the n- things that I've, I've noticed about it is that when those expectations, and I'm going to say when instead of if, because my thing is, you know, usually things, if they can go wrong, they will or go sideways. So when our expectations aren't met, an explicit agreement like that really helps me say, hey, can I be honest with you? Or can I say, I'm noticing I'm kind of a little disoriented or, or put off right now. I thought, and it, it creates more of an opening maybe and an ease for that. Yeah, the thing that instantly surfaced for me when you did that in our pre-show chat was this kind of almost unburdening of any anxiety. And I wasn't feeling a ton of anxiety, but any residual anxiety, there's always a little bit when you're like meeting with someone, but I feel like we've got enough of a rapport. But certainly when I'm meeting with someone that I haven't uh, spoken with much or just haven't connected with at all, you know, and there's just like a, you know, like, I don't know, I haven't really figured this person out yet. It can be, you know, it can be a little tough to try and like have a good conversation because you're like, the nerves are a little on edge, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just felt that, any residual resemblance of any of that would just kind of went away. I was like, oh man, yeah, this is like, this is all good. Like she just kind of stated how I like to show up and I know she's showing up how I like to show up and we're just going to be pals and have a good time. That is such great feedback. <laughs> it really is. So that makes me think of another thing. What When, when you, you know, brought up this idea of having this conversation, there was this, uh, it kind of you threw out this idea about like how people meet and why it matters. And I thought about like, yeah, what is it when I meet somebody, when I'm having an interaction with somebody, what is it that I want to get out of it? Like, what is it that makes it meaningful or successful? I'm putting that in air quotes. Like what, what is a successful sort of a meeting? And, uh, I thought I would ask that of you, Doug. Like, what comes mm. up for you when I say, yeah, what do you want when you're meeting somebody? You know, it's kind of funny. I had a conversation with a friend of mine, gosh, like 20-some-odd years ago. Gosh, it might have been like 24 years ago now. And she was making this interesting point, which is like, you know, the older you get, I guess she was saying the older I get, the more I realize that the more critical I am of who I spend my time with, and how how does picky I have to get, you know, just because time becomes more limited and 
And I th- always thought that was really fascinating. And like, how do you tune that filter? And what's important for you? And it's interesting because I think I compartmentalize quite a bit. And on the personal level, I'm kind of, my rubric is a little different than on the business level. And even in the business world, there's a different rubric for like a sales meeting versus someone who wants to be mentored by me or an existing client. In the sales meeting, I'm looking at it thinking, what's the probability that this is going to close? And is this something I really need to be present for? Is this something that you know, Shane can take on by himself, right? Is my presence really required here Mm -hmm. to alter things, to change things for the better? Same thing for the mentorship, you know? Do I feel like this is someone who is ready for my guidance? Mm -hmm. Are they at a point where they've outgrown my feedback, you know, where they're just like crushing it and maybe someone else might be a better suited mentor or are they too early have they not have some had the right epiphanies go off to where they're going to even understand and sometimes those things are hard to judge on an initial meeting or before a meeting Mm. and that's something i struggle with quite a bit because i really believe a lot in serendipity but the busier i get the harder it is to invite all the serendipity right and so you have to like make some hard choices sometimes like okay i'm gonna turn this one down but i think i tune my filter try to let little things float through every now and then that maybe I would have said no to just to see what happens just to kind of you know keep it fresh and make sure I'm not just uh, closing my mind off to a whole new world that I wouldn't see just because I've kind of created this system that works or whatever yeah I really appreciate it. wow the, the the nuances and the amount of thought you've put into that it's uh it reminds me of so my screening process for for clients you know, I've gotten kind of really fine-tuned about that. Similarly, I mean, this is a very specific context, right? So I work as a practitioner. So as, as the co-founder and director of training for Cuddlist, I am about training practitioners, right, to work in a certain way. And that includes being a practitioner. So I work with clients individually. And really, this is a, this is a form of self-care for them. So they're investing the way you would invest in a trainer or a coach or a workout person or a massage therapist or something. They're, they're investing in a Cuddlist for their self-care. And that means different things to different people. Different people have different goals of what brings them here. And so that's always my job in as kind of a short amount of time as possible is it's what I say, are we a good fit? Are we a good fit Mm. for one another? And basically that means, do I feel confident that I can provide what you're looking for out of this? You know, enough for us to invest time and money and energy into it. So what was your process for kind of dialing in that filter, that screening? Like where, you know, I assume like it was something that maybe took some time to dial in or like, were there any epiphany moments or like, how did, how did that come about? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's always evolving. Part of it, you know, it reminds me of the, what I mentioned earlier about willing versus wanting. Right. So mm-hmm. knowing that this is about what they want, right. They're investing money. It's their self care. It's what they want that I am what I call wholeheartedly willing right? Not, not tolerating, not begrudgingly, not, you know, like, ah, I can put up with it willing. No, because <laughs> nobody needs to be put up with. That's, that's the opposite of therapeutic in my book. But that I am wholeheartedly excited about showing up in service to this. And 
we have a code of conduct, you know, we certainly, there are, there are parameters, right? There are things that most of that is about where a session is not going. And if I get the sense from a client that they're maybe wanting something that is not within the code of conduct or the parameters or, or my personal comfort zone, I will sort of, you know, I'll ask them directly about that. And a lot of clients will say, no, that's fine. That's okay. That's fine. I'm, I understand. That's not a problem. And I say, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, is that something that you want? Is that a limitation that you want? Or is that a limitation that you're settling for? And if they say that they're settling for it, or if they're not really wanting it, then, then I say, you know, I don't want you to, you know, we're probably not a good fit because this is your self-care. You should go out and find the thing that you want and not settle for something. Mm, I like that. That's really profound. You know, it's like, it's probably out there and them settling is probably equivalent to you begrudgingly accepting exactly. something. Exactly. And the energy that's going to flow there is seems like not conducive to what you do, <laughs> right? It seems like the whole point of you doing what you do is about positive energy and it's just not going to flow if like either side's like, Ugh. you know, it's sort of like someone getting a birthday present they don't like and they're pretending like they like it. And <laughs> right. it's like they're everyone can tell. <laughs> yeah. Everyone can tell like, Oh, they're going to totally take that back. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't it be great if they could say, this is awesome. I'm going to have so much fun re-gifting this. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the best white elephant ever. Uh, Aunt Susie will love this. No. <laughs> so good. But, you know, I thought of that when you were talking about mentoring somebody, right? Like, that, like are we a good fit or... Do they already know what I have to offer or is it too much for where they at, they're at? And that's what we're looking mm. for is that optimum fit, right? Is this going to be something that's just going to feel great? It's going to hit the sweet spot for both of us. The interesting thing too is it takes maturity to to be able to say no to work, you know? Like especially when people are first getting started out there. Because it can be hard to get your practice started, no matter you know what kind of freelance or consulting work you do. But mm -hmm. I think once there's any amount of stability in place, it is so worth it to be true to who you are and you know just understand those values and and know where the um, the benefits are, so that you can make sure that you know there's always a, a solid exchange. I struggle with that in a lot. You know, I used to joke that that's. Uh first world choices, right? First world problems. But but the chore of choosing, it, it, it really is a first world uh, challenge. And that thing about, right, the, the better kind of life gets, the better we get at what we do, the better the things are that we're saying no to. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. how it works, right? We have to say no to better and better things. And yeah, that's hard. And, and there's also, I think what comes up under this is this is a one of those implicit cultural things that we're swimming in that I think needs to be questioned, which is more is better. Mm. There's a lot of more is better operating and it, it does us a disservice, I think. Yeah. Sometimes it's a good thing to question. Wow. Yeah. That's something that folks should maybe just hit the pause button <laughs> and just think for a moment about how is more showing up for me right now? Mm -hmm. So now that you've returned from your paused <laughs> more is showing up for you. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna, Welcome back. We're going to shift back to uh, 
something that you mentioned in the pre-show chat, and I think it was in relation to one of the many variations of how you got your start that you might have dove into, which is your acting background. Mm. Mm. And you said, Douglas, any actor will tell you that it's all about the moment before. <laughs> and, you know, once you explained it to me, I was like, of course. Now that I know this, I can't imagine an actor not doing that. All right. This is crit- it seems critical to imagine what that experience of their character is right before they say action, right? Otherwise, like, what are you going to just flip into some random behavior? You, you, you need to be po- poised, right, for, how, for what just happened. Yeah. It also really resonated for me from a facilitation standpoint because we often, well, even in our workshop design template, we have learner after, so how we expect the learners to be after the workshop, and learner before. So how are they showing up before? How are they before the workshop started? And you might wonder, wait, I don't teach people. Why, why are you talking about learners? And our philosophy is that every workshop's a learning workshop, even if it's a problem-solving workshop, because you're coming in, creating an environment for diverse thought. They're learning. Everyone's taking in new information. So they're, they're mm-hmm. you know, if we're mm-hmm. in a learning mindset, we're learning. So, But in, in the case of an actor, they just got to be concerned with their one character in the moment before. But as facilitators, we had to be considerate of the moment before for all of our attendees. When they're walking through the door, right. what, what just happened to them? Right. And that's creating an, an opening for that. It depends, first of all, on the kind of workshop, right? What is the goal? Is this a destination workshop? Do we have a decision to make? Has leadership said, you know, or is this an experiential workshop where really, you know, the invitation is is just to be present and curious and, and facilitate people's kind of aha moments or self-awareness? That's my favorite kind. But um yeah, that creating an opening. I mean, gosh, did somebody just get a, you know a distress text from somebody that they really care about? Did somebody you know is does somebody have something happening that is taking their focus that that's important? And to create an opening or a possibility to to check in around that is that important? Is that going to take the group off course? How do you handle that as a facilitator? Is that something that you mm. kind of create an opening or an invitation for? Or how would you find out about that if somebody did have something heavy? Yes. I think that is critical for a good agenda design and comes back to one of my strong beliefs, which is most of the time when people think about agendas, they're thinking about a list of topics. But we believe agendas should be like an experience design. Mm-hmm. How are you going to start? How are you going to finish? What happens in the middle? What's the arc? How do we thread that through? And your opener, how you start, should always usher people in. And how we think about gracefully bringing in a beginning. And that should give you the opportunity to acknowledge some of those things, realize some of that stuff. There's many different tactics, you know. One of the easiest ones is just do a check-in. You know, everyone does the weather report whether they intend to or not, you know, what was on the TV in the last night? <laughs> oh man, it's really hot outside. Whatever, you know, they start jabbering about whatever's going on mm. and then 10 minutes goes by and then they start the meeting. <laughs> well, if you intentionally plan the opener, you can make it five minutes and <laughs> be intentional about how long it lasts. And 
if you're more intentional about that weather report, you can maybe tune the prompt so it yes. already helps them transition into what we're going to work on versus it just being random. So fun synchronicity here because I, 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 I use that phrase a lot. I'll say, what's the emotional weather report? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's my, you know, as a check-in. So, you know, is it sunny? Is it cloudy? Is it, you know, where, what's the emotional weather report? And give people an invitation to kind of check in that way. So have you ever heard the Tom Waits song, Emotional Weather Report? No! This is, this is the thing. I thought I made it up, Tom well, Waits. <laughs> I mean, He's, you can't get anything past Tom no, Waits. No, I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm in sync I mean, with him. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's it's pretty like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's really incredible because he, he's like, all the lyrics are sound like a weatherman given a weather report. But he, what he's done is he's kind of twisted it just enough to where it's like a metaphor about his mental state. Uh, so great. like and one of the point is like in the Southern regions of my disposition. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I highly recommend checking it out. It's on one of my, my favorite records of his called Nighthawks at the diner. It's uh, really good. I will definitely be, uh, be looking that up. Especially I got the if you visual. have an activity called Emotional Weather Report. I you should, do. You'll have fun with that. Excellent. You know, I think with that, that might be such a fun way to end. We'll just end with Emotional Weather Report. And I want to give you a moment as we close here to think about a final thought for our listeners. Yeah. I guess the, the final thing that I want to share is to encourage people to be intentional about what they want to get out of meeting somebody, to think about what makes a meeting, an interaction with somebody rewarding for you, and then how can I front load that in the sense of being intentional, whether it's being explicit about a social agreement, putting that out there, whether it's starting with a little, maybe uh, like a a level of vulnerability to kind of invite people in, or just creating a moment before for yourself that's going to have a really positive impact on how you show up. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today about moments before and context and social agreements. Such great stuff. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to many conversations in the future. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, I always enjoy our our hangouts. It's great. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com